0: Scott Walker here on our podcast, Freedom Fighters. Thanks so much for joining us this week. This is our end of the year, looking ahead to the new year, uh, special edition here. And I want to give uh, total credit to Spencer Brown, one of my colleagues at Young America's Foundation. He put together YAF's 2020 worst of the worst leftist <laughs> nonsense in 2020. But you think about this, So he put this together. Uh, YAF has got this campus bias tip line. If you've got Suggestions if you yourself are a student, uh, if you know friends who are students uh, if you 've got family members who are students, pass it on y f dot but this campus bias tip line in particular has given us all sorts of amazing content, much of which Spencer and I and others have talked about uh, over this past year in 2020. Uh, but he put together the worst of the worst campus controversies. And I want to go through them. Um, and, in light of this, in fact, he's got the top 10. It's perfect timing because just uh, recently, uh, even after this list was put together, We found out, Fox News reported, that the University of Michigan's information technologist, so their IT department, uh, suggests that terms like picnic and brown bag are offensive. You just can't make this stuff up. So I love these terms. Uh, They've got a task force called the Words Matter Task Force at the IT department, the University of Michigan, just released a hefty list of terms it deems offensive and offered alternatives to be used instead. Now, the list was intended to, as they say, say uh, be more effectively communicate with customers by using specific language that does not harm morale or inadvertently exclude people from feeling accepted to, to foment a healthy and, and inclusive climate. Maybe they just spend some time actually teaching people how to code uh, and get a job, that would be a lot better. But the task force said that using inclusive language is imperative to create a culture where everyone feels welcome, valued, and respected. Unless, of course, you happen to be conservative. For terms like men or man, this task force suggested a more neutral term like people or person. We've heard this all over the place. I remember back in the summer of 2019, I highlighted a similar panel working on on words to be more inclusive at Colorado State when I was out in the state of Colorado. And amazingly, on that list, on their working copy, after attention was drawn to it, they backed off. But America and American was included on the list of things that could be offensive to people. The Words Matter Task Force within the IT department at University of Michigan, they said that not only do terms like men or man need to be replaced with person or person, but they said that words uh, included on their list were brown bag and picnic. So the uh, alternatives for these supposedly offensive words uh, suggested that lunch and learn for brown bag and gathering for picnic another example not just being woke but wrong uh, being completely uh, wrong when it comes to the facts one who knows why brown bag i thought that was interesting i've, I've been packing a brown bag lunch nearly every day for the past 30 years as anybody who watches me on social media knows i often post a picture of my two ham and cheese sandwiches and a brown bag. I've been doing this back since I worked at the American Red Cross back in the early 1990s. The picnic one is a little bit even more ridiculous. It wasn't clear why brown bag was in the list, but the task force said that picnic was offensive because it might originate with claims in social media. The word had its origin in the lynching of African Americans. And eh. Wrong. Not true at all. In fact, Reuters reported in July that the term actually comes from a 17th century word uh, which was used to describe, get this, social gatherings in which attendees bring food or other items. That media outlet concluded that had nothing to do with racially motivated killings. So Again, because someone said it on social media, uh, these lefties uh, think somehow they should believe that, but but there's more. So that was just the latest at the University of Michigan IT department in their Words Matter task force. Um, it'd be nice if people were actually learning things that mattered in the world that not just got them employed, uh, allowed them to pay down their student loan debt, uh, uh, but actually got them out making a positive impact in in the world instead of creating up all these crazy ideas uh, that supposedly are non-offensive, but offend most of us who just believe in common sense. So here's the list. Uh, St. Anselm College professor, number 10. This professor penalizes a student for using gendered language from, get this, the Bible. So, yeah, the student at St. Anselm, uh, a college—actually, I've been there. I was there five years ago, spoke there back in 2015. It's in New Hampshire. It's a Catholic institution. A student there gets a zero on an assignment for using, quote-unquote, gendered language from the Bible. So what was the offense? Well, responding to questions about creation found in Genesis, the student wrote about the time before God created man. And he referenced Genesis 1.29, God says to mankind, see, I give you every seed-bearing plant on all the earth. Continues. The professor for the course explained that the student should have used terms like humankind, humanity, human beings, people, and so forth. So instead of quoting directly from the source, which was a copy of the Bible, uh, supposedly he got a zero for not making these references to humankind, humanity, humanity human beings, people, and so forth, and this, and an institution that claims to be Catholic. Number nine, this is really actually quite recent, Burbank Unified School District yanks classic literature from classrooms. The public school district in Burbank pulled, because of some pushback, classic American literature off the shelves, uh, books like Of Mice and Men, The Adventures of Huckleberry Fenn, and to kill a mockingbird citing what they described as complaints from parents that the books were leading to trauma for students yeah trauma thankfully yaf yeah, stepped in a special shout out to our team out in santa barbara at the reagan ranch and the reagan ranch center who stepped up and worked with supporters uh, there in within that region they were able to provide books directly to the burbeck students now Think about this. The students have to have the ability to read and wrestle with the ideas contained in these iconic books, um, not not have their academic freedom uh, limited by the whims of, as Spencer said it, uh, the whims of cancel happy leftists. Yeah, it well, the only thing more amazing than the original action was to see this completely uh, ridiculous uh, letter uh, from the principal institution when they were exposed for this. Just go into this whole apology for being who he was and the privilege that he had. Uh, instead of apologizing, maybe maybe people like him should apologize uh, for students not learning, uh, for not getting access uh, to, to good learning, learning the fundamentals out there. But, but have no fear. Uh, These folks may not know how to read and write, but they'll certainly know how to be woke activists. Number eight, University at Buffalo, that's right, it's actually called that. It's the longer version is the State University of New York at Buffalo, but they call it University at Buffalo and University of Denver actually segregate students by race to discuss the presidential election. So the University at Buffalo had two separate what they called listening sessions. Uh, on the presidential election. But but one was for people of color. It was a people of color affinity group. And another was a white affinity group. And it was all for students to share how they were emotionally and psychologically impacted by the election and to educate them on ways to identify peaceful action, inclusivity, coping, and support. Wow. Just as an aside, just having groups about this in general, whether they were segregated or not, reminds me of my youngest son, Alex, when he four years ago was at the University of Wisconsin and another one of those overwhelmingly woke campuses, he said uh, one of his professors in the day after the 2016 election literally cried for the entire hour of the course because of Donald Trump winning the election and carrying the votes in the state of Wisconsin. This number eight not only includes University of Buffalo, they did about the same thing at the University of Denver's Graduate School of Social Work, where they had six different race-based caucuses to talk about the presidential election. Uh, They had them for people of color, biracial, multiracial, black, African, African African-American, and white students. You can't make this stuff up. Number seven, Iowa State University professor threatens to dismiss pro-life and conservative students from the class. So yeah, Chloe Clark, an instructor at Iowa State, issued a giant warning to her students threatening dismissal for students who argue against abortion, who argue the Marxist Black Lives or that the Black Lives Matter organization is Marxist, or anywhere a whole list of other crazy things uh, that I think most of us would say would be deserving of an open free debate. This was issued in Threats to Students in her English 250 course, and just another example of professors really buying into this pervasive and corrosive uh, impact of intersectional teaching practices pursued by these leftist educators. Number six, George Washington University's trustees cave to Wilksters over colonial concerns. We saw this too many times in campuses across the country, but we have administrators at the George Washington University who actually voted to create a special committee to find uh, a supposedly new inclusive name for the university. Apparently GW uh, doesn't stand for George Washington anymore. It sounds for the great woke. How about that for the founder of this nation? Number five, Creighton University theology professor calls a pro-police rally a, get this, a white supremacist rally. That's right. Zachary B. Smith, a professor of theology at Creighton, tweeted that the pro-police event in Omaha was a white supremacist event. Now, once YAF pushed this out to the public, Creighton's administration came out condemning the tweet and added that Smith regrets his words. I think it regrets getting caught and being pressured to push back on it. Number four, University of Virginia's left has claimed too many white people in the multicultural center. So this is one where YAF got uh, inside footage of a student at UVA declaring, frankly, there is just too many white people in here at the school's multicultural student center. Of course, the the video went viral. It was not only on YAF's Twitter feed, but it was a great reminder of the damaging impact the left's obsession with identity politics has on the rising generation. Number three, Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt University had a quiz that claimed the US Constitution is designed to perpetuate white supremacy. Yeah, again, Yaf, and and thanks again to these uh, tip lines out here. But Yaf got a screenshot of the question with a true marked as the correct response. Uh, and the statement was the US Constitution was designed to perpetuate white supremacy and protect the institution of slavery. It was a true or false question, and the answer was true, at least according to this Vanderbilt professor. Again, a classic example, it's wrong. And I think about this. It would be nice to, to have actually people learn what's in the Constitution itself and, and understand the fundamentals, not only the, the original form of the Constitution, but the amendments added. If our founders hadn't passed a, 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 a Constitution that included a very... Um, specific way to have it amended, we wouldn't have the 13th, the 14th, the 15th amendments. You think about all those things that ended slavery and and allowed for people of color to, to not only vote, but to have property rights and so forth. You think about the 19th Amendment. We just had a year-long celebration of that last year, which was uh, giving women the right to vote, um, which is now over a century ago. All those things happened because the Constitution was set up in very narrow instances to evolve uh, where it made sense. And in these cases, it did. I might note something else most people won't learn anywhere in their studies, or at least not in most schools or campuses. Each of those amendments that offered those dramatic changes was ultimately presented by Republican Congresses uh, that pushed for those changes uh, during our nation's history. Number two. This one's uh, really amusing. So, Illinois Central College. There's a professor there. Uh, We'd heard about him before. This even got more bizarre when we found out this guy was talking about America not being exceptional. That alone uh, is interesting. He made the claim. He went on this tirade about how there's no evidence that America is is exceptional. There's no evidence that America is the greatest country in the world. Well, as Yaf's team dug into it a little more, you might find it's interesting because it, it, it turns out it's almost word for word a ripoff of a monologue that Jeff Daniels did in a scene in the character he played in HBO show The Newsroom, which wasn't that great of a show to begin with. But listen to this for a minute. You'll see the back and forth between you'll hear Jeff Daniels' voice and you'll also hear Professor Troy Dordrey's voice, where he's literally just plagiarizing the kind of stuff that students and certainly professors are not supposed to do at all. Say why America is the greatest it's country? Question in asked world. to the character, Jeff Daniels. Now here's America, the professor. The greatest country in the world. We're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Jeff Daniels character. has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. Freedom's not
1: Professor now.
0: Unique no. to America. My god. Canada, Japan, the UK, France, Italy, Spain, South Korea, Australia, Norway, on and on and on have freedom. So, 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. There are 207 sovereign states in the world and 180 of them have freedom. There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. So there's no evidence, arguably, to support the statement that the United States is the greatest country in the world. We're seven. This is, you can't make this up. It goes on and on and on. I won't play the whole thing. It goes on for another couple of minutes. But this guy, Professor Troy Doherty at Illinois Central College, not only says there's no evidence that America is the greatest country in the world, he doesn't just say it, he he plagiarizes it word for word from a show on HBO called The Newsroom. Well, Jeff Daniels' character on that show is wrong, as is the professor, uh, but he's not just wrong for plagiarism. He's wrong of not understanding the greatness of this, the United States of America. And number one on the list. The University of California, Davis, and the University of Kentucky, what did they do? They actually segregated resident assistants by race for training. According to an email uh, that went back and forth, that was obtained by YAF, Young America's Foundation. The University of Kentucky actually conducted its training for RAs by segregating students according to their racial identity. One for RAs who identified as black, indigenous, a person of color, and one for RAs identified as white. The email goes on to clarify that these are two tracks or healing space for staff of color and white accountability space. Can you imagine? I mean, I think back to long before I was even bored, back in the 1950s, when they had segregated housing and dining and even down to water fountains or bubblers. Today, the so-called woke institutions of higher education are doing the same thing under the idea that somehow one's a healing space for staff of color and the other is a white accountability space. I think most of us still remember Martin Luther King, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech on the mall, one of the most iconic speeches in the history of the world. But one of the things it seems we've lost in this is he talked about having a dream that someday his children would be judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. We saw this not only at the University of Kentucky, but another tip that YAF got was from a student at UC Davis, University of California, Davis, about a similar training program. Aries in the training there were divided into different affinity groups, such as black, Latinx, which, by the way, every friend of mine I know and and, and people I know, like my brother's in-laws, who are Latino, uh, Hispanic Americans. Not a one of them identifies as Latinx, so I don't. I still don't understand that. But they said black, Latinx, Asian American, critical whiteness, men of color, women of color, LGBTQIA+, trans, non-binary, women for social justice training. At some point, there's going to be a definition for every possible person out there but they divided them up. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is an alarming trend of really apparent racial segregation in our schools. That's what that's what two of our U.S. senators, Tom Cotton and Kelly Loeffler, said when urging the Justice Department to open an inquiry into this. Again, if schools were separating people based on their race for other reasons than this wokeness, the left and the right, I would argue, would rightfully so being uh, would be going wild about that. Would be pushing back on this and yet it's happening really in front of our eyes out here. Just a classic example, and kudos to Spencer Brown and really the whole team at YAF for putting this together. There's a whole bunch of folks who help out with the Campus Bias tip line. This is just the tip of the iceberg, though. There are plenty of other examples out there, and it's, it's exactly why people have asked me, you know, if I'm going to run again, and I chuckle about it. I said, well, someday maybe, uh, you know, Joe Biden is literally a quarter century older than I am. So I figure I got plenty of time should I ever decide to run for office at any office again, uh, considering the, the age of Joe Biden, and for that matter, even President Trump. Uh, I'm much, much younger than both of them. But right now, the mission before us is to turn things around. We are under siege. We've been under siege for years on our college campuses. We're under siege on our culture. We're seeing it seep up into the elections, the impact it's had. We're seeing in particular amongst millennials, and even some of it seeping in as they go off to college into this latest generation, Generation Z. The optimist to me, though, looks at this and says, boy, if we just level the playing field, if we just got this generation the facts, if we just taught them about the importance of freedom and the, the success of freedom versus the failures of socialism, if we just taught them you know, basic American and world history, if we just taught them basic economics and financial literacy, the facts are so overwhelming. But this is why those on the left, the the left-wing professors, the radical activists, the others in social media and Hollywood and traditional media sources, why they want to stack the deck and not even hear from those voices. That If anyone dares to speak out, it's suddenly branded uh, as being one of these isms out there as some horrible defining thing because they don't want our young people, they don't want this latest generation to get a chance to hear the facts because the facts are clear. Common sense conservative reforms work. I saw that for eight years as governor of the state of Wisconsin, a blue state, a blue state we temporarily made purple. Our reforms worked, which is why they wanted to shut us down. It's why they wanted to recall us. It's why they wanted to push back. It's why they they wanted to push us out of the the spotlight, because our reforms work. And when given a chance, they work time and time again. One of the interesting things in the survey we asked uh, early this year of college and high school age students and the height of the pandemic was, uh, do you believe that if you work hard, you can succeed in America? The answer overwhelmingly was yes, even for those in college age, uh, but definitely higher for those in high school. We also then followed up later in questions and said, if you come legally from some other country to America, do you believe that if you work hard, you can succeed in America? Again, the answer was yes. That's the American dream. Whether or not they, they freely call it that, whether or not the semantics match up with what they're hearing in the classroom, the fact of the matter is we understand as human beings. It's in our nature. It's what, it's, it's, it's literally what King Solomon uh, talked about in the book of Ecclesiastes, that we find meaning uh, in our toil. We find meaning in our work, in, in, in a hard day's work. True freedom and prosperity, as I've said before, do not come from the clumsy hand of the government. They come from empowering people to live their own lives and control their own destinies with the dignity that is born of work. Those things are inherent. We just need to get the facts out. And if we can get the facts out, which is exactly why I've dedicated the next several years to helping Young America's Foundation expand the good work they've already done, but to go to more campuses, to speak to more students to reach out sooner, not just in college, but in high school, and yes, even in junior high and preteens. Why? Because when the facts are presented on a level playing field, the truth wins. And the truth is, common sense conservative forms work. Until next week, I'm Scott Walker. Keep fighting for freedom.